When you have insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. How do you know you're not overpaying? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a technology company that securely connects with your insurance and reviews your claims for overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. What kind of programs does this school have? How are the test scores? How many kids do a classroom? Homes.com knows these are all things you ask when you're home shopping as a parent. That's why each listing on Homes.com includes extensive reports on local schools, including photos, parent reviews, test scores, student-teacher ratio, school rankings, and more. The information is from multiple trusted sources and curated by Homes.com's dedicated in-house research team. It's also you can make the right decision for your family. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds. And Biden's EPA will take over the cleanup of the toxic Ohio train derailment disaster. We have the show of all shows today. The Daily Beast's Will Somer joins us to talk about his new book, Trust the plan, the rise of QAnon, and the conspiracy that unhinged America. Then we'll talk to Professor Joanna Schwartz about her new book, Shielded, how the police became untouchable. But first, we have the author of Too Much and Never Enough, the host of The Mary Trump Show, and not my therapist, Mary Trump. Welcome to Fast Politics, my friend and yours, Mary Trump. Hey, Molly, it's so good to be back with you. I'm so happy to have you. I'm sorry. We were just talking about our parents getting older, and you said we're long-lived people, and I was thinking to myself, I actually read an article about how all of these Republicans were hoping that Donald Trump, I don't I'm sure you saw that article in The Atlantic by the great, great McKay Coppins about how all these Republicans were hoping that at 76 with all the fast food, the party could outrun Donald Trump. Yeah, I, I haven't read it yet, but I will. I'm sorry to rain on everybody's parade, <laughs> but while it's true, my grandfather lived to be 93 and he was a reason like he didn't exercise but he was a very strongly built man with no bad habits. Right. My grandmother's oldest sister lived to be 98, chain smoking and drinking every day. 
So <laughs> sorry, I have a feeling like I'm going to end up in my dad's camp, and then the rest of them will kill me, young, younger, youngish, whatever. But uh, boy, I know it's a terrible bet to place. Yeah. One of my theories is that meanness is a preservative. Yeah. Oh, no question. So let's talk about the 2024 meeting. We have spent almost a decade talking about Donald J. Trump shit show that we are facing. You know Donald Trump very well, unfortunately for you. I think the question on every Republican and Democrat's mind is, would Donald Trump accept if he is not the nominee? No. And I, I just want to add a bit of a caveat because, you know, people will point out that when it said, I know Donald Trump, even though I ha- literally haven't spent any kind of quality time, not that there is such a thing as quality right, I was time, any say. significant amount of time with him since like the late 90s. The reason I know him so well is because, and this is a red flag, the man hasn't changed since he was a teenager. Right. So he's constitutionally and psychologically the same person trapped in amber he won't accept anything, and I think his choices then become running as a, a third-party candidate or just fighting the it was rigged, it's a hoax, I, it was stolen from me card. Right. Either way, Republicans won't be able to get his voters. No. That is the thing that's so fascinating to me that's absent from all of their calculations. It doesn't matter if somebody else is close in the polls or even maybe leading in the polls, there is at least 30% of the Republican Party voters that will not vote for anybody else. What do you do when you're starting at that kind of deficit? The thing I find so fascinating about this whole scenario is Donald Trump has backed the Republican Party into a corner. They kept thinking that he would at some point go quietly, right? Like if he just lost enough races, he would say like, oh, this is enough. I mean, that never happens, right? Never. And what's worse, though, is that they've never said this is enough. They could have gotten themselves out of this problem many, many times, starting in 2015, right? All they had to say was, you want to run the Republican Party? You have to release your tax returns or something like that. Right, right, right. I think you're right. They kept thinking, as Republicans often do, that they can control the monster they created. And then, of course, the monster ends up taking over the whole party. And that's what they're stuck with. So so we can engage in a little bit of schadenfreude about this. Right. But one, we still have to deal with fucking Donald all the time. Two, and I said this back in 2016, the fact that he had a 0.0001% chance of winning in November was terrifying. And now the percentage is much higher. Right. The Republican Party has worked really hard to try to, like, keep from having to off against Trump. They've worked really hard to like avoid conflict. I mean, I'm thinking of Nikki Haley, who just jumped in the race. Nikki Haley was a member of Trump's administration. She was a good little girl. She had been normal. She had sort of tried to play along the way a normal politician would, but she tried to avoid confrontation. And the problem is, I don't think you can do that with Donald Trump. Well, you can't avoid confrontation on the one hand, And you can't be more him than he is. Right. Right. That's that's, I think Josh Marshall said this recently. It's like if this is a contest about who is the best Donald Trump, which it will be. Right. Who can beat the guy who actually is Donald Trump? (laughs) 
Right. Well, that's Ron DeSantis' biggest problem is that you can't be the rich man's Donald Trump. No, you you can't. Haley reminds me of Pence in that each of them did the right thing once in right. their life. Right. Pence, it was right. January 6th. With Haley, it was taking the Confederate flag down. Right. And that's the thing that is going to doom their candidacy. <laughs> it's so pathetic. I mean, it's like we're laughing, but it's tragic. Like, this is tragic. This is tragic. This is terrible for American democracy. This is terrible for everyone, except perhaps, hopefully, the Democratic Party. Oh, hopefully. It's a high-stakes gamble that I personally, as someone who doesn't like high-stakes gambles, would rather not. Like, I'd rather rather can you know that biden runs against a normal candidate but i don't see a world where this republican party produces that there aren't any anymore even if by some bizarre like if an asteroid hits the planet and every other republican is disabled and haley's the only person left standing she's also not a normal candidate anymore like none of them even sununu in new hampshire who pretends to be he recently said that if Donald gets a nomination, he's voting for Donald. So what good is that? Right. So right, right, right. they all have made this bet. And right. yeah, it's like they're gambling with the rest of our our sanity right. because this it's unsustainable. Every friggin election can't be about whether or not democracy is going to survive. And yet here we are again. I mean, the only thing I would say is that eventually, as long as Democrats win. And again, that's a big caveat because we don't know how this goes. And if any, you know, if 2016 has been any proof, it's that, you know, you can think all you want and still. But as long as uh, democracy survives, I actually think that Republicans will eventually get sick of losing. <laughs> I think so. But it also depends in part upon Democrats willingness Obviously, that there are complicating factors there, but the Democrats' willingness when they are in power to marginal continue to marginalize this Republican Party uh, into non-existence. Yeah, I read this piece about Sununu today in the Times, and there certainly is a sense like you know there is a message. It has not necessarily permeated the base yet, but there certainly is a message that. You know, Republicans cannot win anything other than bright red America with Donald Trump or Trumpy candidates. And we saw that really, really in stark relief during the midterms. We did. And hence the gerrymandering and hence uh, their problem with primaries and the need to lie, cheat and steal in every election. But as long as they're in a position to continue rigging the system, or I should say, taking advantage of the system that's pre-rigged in their favor, you know, thanks founders. We're always going to be in this very tense standoff. Like how much can we accomplish? Like Democrats, I think that the idea that Democrats would ever have a supermajority in the Senate is is like vanishingly small. Right, right, right. Yes, no question. So we'll have to do what we can do within the reality of having two sort of non-Democrats in the Democratic majority, just do our best to, to get enough people in there to get rid of the filibuster. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think I wouldn't underestimate 
that eventually Republicans will get sick of losing, but I don't know when that happens. I mean, we're seeing right now McCarthy is in the House trying to he's elevated this Freedom Caucus. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of Trumpism in the means of like unforced errors happening in the Republican Party, which is pretty interesting, if nothing else. Yeah. And what's sort of interesting, unexpected and a little bit upsetting is that it's it's their incompetence that seems to be breaking through to people. It's not their racism. It's not their misogyny. It's not their It's It's not the stuff that disgusts us. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's that they're holding hearings on these absolutely bullshit things that that are irrelevant to everybody's day to day lives and they're wasting money doing it. So I, I guess that's good. But Again, it's against the backdrop of they're having such an electoral advantage and knowing that in order to win, all they really need to do is focus on three states. Right. I mean, it is interesting to me, though, I will say, like Benghazi worked in 2015, like it worked. It worked well. It worked for Republicans. They ruined Hillary like they did it. McCarthy was psyched. He said he announced it on TV. He was delighted. So I don't think that what we're seeing now is a kind of like I do think voters are getting a little more savvy. Yeah, that is absolutely true. And that is something that should make us uh, give us a little boost of, if not hope, necessarily (laughs) positivity, because it's so egregious and it's so constant. Like there are no breaks here. Right. When you saw the polling on this weaponization committee, which was the brainchild of one Tucker Carlson, you know, Tucker Carlson told McCarthy in early January that if he wanted to be the speaker, he needed to start a church committee. Then Tucker might bestow the speakership on him. By the way, that's not how it's supposed to work. In case you're wondering, he did it. And the polling showed that the American people knew right away what it was. So that I think is is actually a pretty hopeful sign. It is. Uh, the the question, though, is how much damage can be done in the meantime? You know, we just found out that Kevin McCarthy gave said Tucker Fister Carlson access to all of the video from January 6th. Right, exactly. And it makes you wonder what that's all about. You know, what are they planning? And, and we just continue to be in this extraordinary period of norm breaking to the point that norms don't matter anymore, except for Norm Ornstein, of course. He always matters. Right, exactly. But I mean, that's a good point. I mean, think about a news host is getting these videos. He's right now being sued. His network is being sued by the voting machine company from the 2020 election because it is clear and there is text message evidence that Tucker and Laura Ingram and John Hannity didn't believe anything they were shopping for the last two years. So we're way past norm breaking. (laughs) What do we need a word for norm breaking? when you are really like post, post, post norm breaking. <laughs> I'll, I'll work on it. Yeah, we need to workshop a word for, you know, you, you norms, those, those were waved us bye-bye a long time ago. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> and it just shows you that the, the ease with which it happened right. or leads us, I should say, to having discovered also how vulnerable our institutions are and how willing so many people are to kind of put pressure at their weakest joints. <laughs> so yeah. 
we've got a lot of rebuilding to do, but I think we also have a lot of reconceptualizing to do. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. I mean, for example, there's a special counsel right now called Jack Smith. I guess he still exists. Allegedly. What right do we have to know? We're only the American people. Again, like all these people who, you know, these rioters, a lot of them went to jail. But you know who didn't go to jail? Anyone above that. Yeah, that's the danger point. We cannot consider any justice to have been done if that remains the case. I mean, it is entirely untenable. And the same, we can say the same thing, at least hypothetically, in Georgia, if charges are brought against everybody except like Mark Meadows and Donald Trump, how is that justice? I mean, that's the big question. And again, it's too soon to know before people start yelling at me. It's certainly possible that tomorrow, as soon as this podcast publishes, Jack Smith puts out a ton of indictments and we are all eating our shoes. By the way, I just want to say, and look, I would be delighted to eat my shoe. I do think Donald Trump for, you know, will run on these indictments. And I mean, don't you think? Oh, he'll run on them. He'll fundraise off of them. One thing Donald likes, he likes having a lot of people against him. Like he wants the Republican field to be as big as it was in 2016. That just works in his favor. He likes having multiple fronts to fight on because things that demoralize us, like cheating, lying and stealing and name calling and ad hominem attacks kind of make him happy and right. <laughs> you know, delight him. him feel stronger. Yeah. Yeah. He'll use that and he'll he's already called DeSantis a pedophile, for God's sakes, or implied that he was one. So it's going to be completely nasty. And there are enough people. Again, we've got at least 30 percent of the Republican electorate that will finance this stuff because it's the only thing in their lives that make them feel better than or make them feel empowered. Yeah. Oh, Mary Trump, I am delighted to have you. I look forward to having you back. We will survive the next two plus years. We will indeed. <laughs> we will. We will thrive. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing. And of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 
Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. I'm late. I'm late. Very important Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Will Somer is a reporter at the Daily Beast and author of Trust the Plan, The Rise of QAnon, and The Conspiracy That Unhinged America. Welcome to Fast Politics, Will Somer. Molly, thanks for having me. Trust the plan, but we really shouldn't trust the plan, huh? (laughs) No, yeah. So the book is called Trust the Plan. I'm using sort of a QAnon slogan there that they, you know, encourage their uh, their believers to to just sort of lay back and let Q and Donald Trump uh, take care of these satanic pedophiles who run the world. But of course things, you know, when you do trust the plan, things tend to go a little awry. And the book's about that and and how uh, both for QAnon believers and the rest of us, uh, how bad things have gotten. Can you just explain to us what is happening right now with QAnon? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're still cooking. I mean, so so Q told a few years ago, said to the, the, the believers, said, stop identifying yourselves as QAnon. Stop talking publicly about it. And so as a result, I think we see it a lot less visibly now. Oh. But they're still at it. You know, Q pops in every couple months to post. And I think, you know, we see a lot of evidence that I think we're going to have a resurgence of, of QAnon as not just sort of broader as sort of conspiratorial thinking or talk about groomers and cabals and this kind of stuff. But I think QAnon itself will will have a resurgence in 2024 and as we move into that. But I think really the biggest thing with them is how Donald Trump has moved to outright endorse them. And, you know, he posts all day on Truth Social, right. you know, memes of him wearing Q buttons and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that does seem like a really important sea change. Like we had Trump sort of flirted with them, but he kind of knew it was naughty. And then now, since he, you know, in his desperate quest to hold on to power, all of a sudden he is like, oh, yeah, this will work for me. For so long, it's sort of the arc of Trump and QAnon is these guys, they wanted, they believed in Trump so bad. He was like their messianic figure. And all they wanted as they endured all this, you know, mockery from people who knew them, all they wanted was for Trump to say QAnon was real. And so, you know, they would go to these rallies. They talked about trying to break into the White House to ask him, this kind of stuff. And then, you know, eventually, you know, the Trump campaign kind of put put them to the side and said, well, why don't you know you're okay, you can come in, but don't wear your shirts and maybe don't stand in front of the TV cameras. Maybe don't freak people out. And then in 2020, Trump starts saying, well, you know, maybe these people are onto something. And then now more explicitly, he's 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 embracing them a lot more. It seems to me like with the anti-vaxxers and like people like the guy who attacked Paul Pelosi, it does seem to me like there's a kind of liberal sect of QAnon. I hate even saying that because it doesn't sound like English. Yeah, this is sort of a fascinating aspect of it. This stuff really took off during the pandemic. 
There's various terms for them. They're called pastel QAnon in some ways. It sort of spreads along <laughs> online yoga and wellness communities um, on Instagram. There's also this aspect called Save the Children, which is sort of a QAnon front group where people would say, um, aren't you concerned that 600,000 children go missing a year? Which is which is not true. But people say, yeah. Right. I was going to say that seems like a lot of kids. I mean, that would be about a third of the kids born every year. Yeah. And so, so yeah, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. But I would be very concerned about that. Yeah. And that's sort of the funnel is that then, you know, people, well-meaning people who wouldn't consider themselves Trump supporters, they sort of travel down this rabbit hole and say, well, why are these kids going missing? And someone says, well, let me tell you about a lady named Hillary Clinton. And that's how you get a lot of these kind of liberal QAnon believers. Yeah. And do these people eventually vote for Trump? I think that's how it works out is often these when I talk to people about like, why did you get into QAnon? When it is a more liberal person, you know, they get into it because of maybe they're already in kind of like alternative wellness spaces or selling essential oils in an MLM. Oh, yeah. doTERRA. Exactly. Exactly. A lot of the appeal of QAnon that I think often gets undercovered, uh, but we talk about in the book, is there's like a very personal aspect of it. And there's this promise of, you know, if you have debts, it'll be abolished. Or if you rent your house, suddenly you'll come to own this house. So often people in kind of desperate circumstances, they they get into it and then, then they, okay, well, who's the guy who's going to make all this happen? Well, his name's Donald Trump. Right, right, right. So let me ask you, I want to ask you about this Epstein list. They all think there's some Epstein list coming out, right? Right, right. That there's this, you know, this Epstein client list that the deep state won't release. But it's coming any day, right? Exactly, exactly. And they, you, right. And so, you know, or, you know, even sometimes they'll circulate sort of photoshopped aspects of it where it'll say, oh, John Roberts was, was you know, on the Epstein list list or whatever. Is there a list coming out? No, no, there's no list, Molly. I mean, as far as I know, I mean, there's the government has never said we're going to put out a list. Oh, so this is completely made up. Yeah, exactly. It's made up. Oh, wow. That's really freaky. I have been really surprised. And again, I'm not saying that I am going to join this insane cult, but I have been very surprised at how little of the Epstein stuff has been released. I think often, you know, I certainly don't mean to to brush this, uh, you know, Epstein stuff under the rug. I mean, I think often QAnon is is most effective when there are, there really are like very weird, disturbing things happening in the right. news. You know, whether it was the pandemic or um or or the Epstein stuff, which is really weird. And then he supposedly died in jail. And you know, there's a lot of shady stuff around it. And and usually that that can make a great recruiting tool to then say, well, you know what else is weird, and then you know, sort of lead someone down the path. Right. No, I mean, just crazy. First, I want to ask you: Is there any sense? that this is getting better or are we really all going to die? <laughs> well, I think certainly, you know, I, I occasionally talk to people who leave QAnon and, but I honestly think that this this kind of conspiratorial thinking and this the kind of the QAnon movement is something that's going to be with us for a while. I think, you know, there are like a lot of a lot of legitimate problems in American society. And I think people are often driven in, you know, they get in these kind of dire straits, often like dead or, you know, medical issues, stuff like this. And they see these conspiracy theories as an escape and, and kind of a fun fantasy world that they can live in. And then, you know, sometimes it unfortunately ends up in being January 6th or, uh, you know, these other kind of QAnon violent moments. How much of the GOP base is really QAnon? Very conservatively, I would say 10%. 
but I think it's probably higher than that. I mean, we see polls that say, you know, when you ask someone, do you believe in QAnon, perhaps you get as, as high as 15%. Whereas if you say more broadly, do you believe that there is a satanic cult that abuses children and drinks their blood, et cetera? It's actually much higher than that. Like it's in the 30%. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Jesus. And so at that point, you know, and people can say like, you know, look at that. Oh, well, it's not a majority. <laughs> well, that's great. You know, we're still, we're talking about t- tens of millions of people. Yeah, that's a lot of people. So then this leads to my next question, which is this group is not transferable, right? Like Ron DeSantis can't harness the power of QAnon, right? I don't think so at this moment. You know, I I think if, you know, someday Donald Trump will leave and someday we'll get a, a new iteration of this conspiracy theory. But but until then, I mean, they really, you know, he is the he's the God figure. They call him the God Emperor. You know, I mean, they this call him is the God Emperor. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah, yeah. Wait, they called Donald John Trump the God Emperor? Yes, yes. I and mean, look, it's a, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, Molly, but they do call it, you know, they call him Geodis, right? The God Emperor of the United States. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> they, they know the same guy we're talking about, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's the Donald Trump, right? I mean, and that is yeah, what, wow. you know, I, I think we, we're starting to see, but speaking of DeSantis, I think we're starting to see Trump kind of wade into weaponizing these pedophile allegations against him, right? Because he, right. you know, he posted right. this that, picture yeah. and he said, oh, Ron, partying with high schoolers? Is this true? The thing that I don't understand about this is like these people, when these things are debunked, they don't ever like have a moment where they're like, oh, we weren't right about this, so maybe we're not right about everything. And I mean, it, that is the the sort of the cognitive dissonance that, that's so fascinating about it, where w- when one of these moments doesn't happen, then, you know, you have to kind of jigger it around in your head. And so suddenly, you know, I, I talked to QAnon people when uh, Biden was inaugurated, which was, of course, a huge moment let down for them. And this woman said, you know, I'm going to I'm going to throw up. But then you they kind of go back and they say, well, I guess the deep state was a little tougher than we thought. And we'll just have to redouble our efforts. Imagine if they spent all that time working on stuff that was actually real. Let's talk about what is happening at Project Veritas. Uh, What is happening at Project Veritas? Oh, my gosh, Molly, where do I start? So give us a little for my dad, who is hopefully listening to this, because if you've lost your dad, you're really in deep shit. Please explain what Project Veritas is. Sure. So Project Veritas is a nonprofit. And, you know, I want to underline that uh, because that comes up later. Yes. Insane. Is a political group run by James O'Keefe, who's kind of the this right wing figure who pioneered these hidden camera stings. And so most famously, he dressed up as a pimp and went into the liberal group Acorn and said, you know, I'm a pimp and how can I traffic underage girls, essentially? And a lot of these videos were accused of being misleadingly edited, but he's been very effective at embarrassing and in some cases taking down liberal groups with these stings. And he also went after a Times reporter and went after, I mean, he's done a bunch of these kind of things and they're very sketchy. And the idea is to prove that the media is somehow trying to get conservatives. Exactly. They do a lot of uh, honeypots, for example, where, you know, a a lovely young lady from Project Veritas or as James O'Keefe refers to them as pretty young things. Oh, Jesus Christ. You know, internally, yes. That's the kind of environment they're working with. Right. Feminist icon, James O'Keefe. And so, you know, they'll they'll try to, they, like, for example, when, when Trump was in office, they would try to catch FBI agents saying, oh, we can't wait to get this Trump guy or they go after journalists. And so that's kind of their bread and butter. How bad must it have been for them to have fired him? Because he's the boss. Right. And so 
there's all this kind of crazy stuff going on at Project Veritas. So they were they're under FBI investigation over the theft of Ashley Biden's diary. Right. Which may or may not be her diary. Right. Exactly. There are these lawsuits from employees who suggest this very sexist culture of, you know, James O'Keefe. Yeah, I'm shocked. <laughs> who could have seen that? I mean, really. Yeah. James O'Keefe, like pulling up porn on his computer at work, allegedly really hard partying. They claimed uh, someone pooped on the floor at a party. Another guy had a drug overdose. So so then this all comes to a head over James O'Keefe's spending. The kind of the marquee expense here, and we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars, is James O'Keefe is a big musical theater fan, going back to high school. And they have admitted this, is that he, he starred in a production of Oklahoma, I think in 2021. This is so stupid. It has to have been true. And so, hey, go on. And so they, they paid $20,000 to basically relocate Project Veritas staffers so that he could work with them in, I think, Virginia, while he was doing this Oklahoma production. And then they had to admit to the IRS, like, okay, yeah, I guess this was not within our purview as a nonprofit. So this spending has been out of control, according to the board. It seems as though he fired some people who were looking into it, and then they they stepped back in and and reinstated them. And then now this kind of comes to a head on Monday, where James O'Keefe marches into the office and records this nearly hour-long video where he's kind of ranting. Oh, I would hope. (laughs) I mean, because, you know, he's a recording guy, so, you know. I'm interested to see, because, you know, his staff says he alleges that he's been very abusive, a lot of the staffers. And so that I'm curious, all these people with hidden cameras and all this expertise, whether there's a video or audio of him that's going to emerge. But he basically had this kind of bizarre video where he ranted against the board and he's just he's crying and stuff like this. And then he announces, you know, I'm I'm quitting Project Veritas. I'm going to create my own rival new Project Veritas. So now there's this this chance that there's there are going to be these two rival organizations at each other's throats. Oh, Jesus. I mean, I did see Don Jr. A lot of these guys are team James O'Keefe. They certainly are. You know, it's interesting to me because the board here, you know, people like Don Jr. are painting this board as, you know, a bunch of liberals. But I mean, these are James O'Keefe loyalists who stepped (laughs) in here. And so it makes me think that, you know, essentially what the board is arguing is that it got to the point where they they were at risk of breaking the law themselves if they didn't rein him in. But you have people like Don Jr. who are arguing that this nonprofit should be run as the James O'Keefe piggy bank for musical productions. <laughs> well, why should it be any different than his dad's pack? Honestly, I do think Donald Trump's charity is the model here. I mean, this idea that they say, well, right. James raised all this money, but he didn't raise it for, you know, one of the allegations is that he spent nearly $20,000 taking a private jet to go meet one of his boat repairmen. I mean, th- this is not, <laughs> you know, it's not what a nonprofit is supposed to be for. Right. Technically, no, but it's kind of incredible. I am without speech, honestly. I mean, I just am without speech with this. So you think that James O'Keefe now goes off and starts his own... Project Veritas Part 2? Yeah, I think that's the plan. And, and really, I mean, Project Veritas, it, I think you could easily replicate it. It's it's pretty much James O'Keefe and sort of some some wayward youths who are willing to, to right. do honeypots. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, right. I'm sure he can buy some more hidden cameras. So I, yeah, I think he will do that. And I think the board here, I don't think they're under any illusions that it's going to continue without him. It speaks to how concerned they were about his spending that, you know, it seems like they let him get away with a lot. And then they said, hey, James, you know, maybe we skip this musical and then you know it all blew up (laughs) but you do also see how unhinged a lot of these people are right i mean like obviously james o'keith had a pretty good gig he just couldn't keep himself from blowing it up exactly and and you know 
often what I run into covering covering the right is how many personality issues come up. And Project Veritas had a great thing going. It sort of seems as though O'Keefe's personality, you know, according to the board and his spending and, and you know, also I mean, really to underline, I mean, his underlings alleged just heinous treatment. They, they said he would just go after people in what they called public crucifixions at work. It seems like a very rough place. But it's hard for me to imagine, and this is the thing with these MAGA workplace disputes, like the whole thing of MAGA is mistreating people, (laughs) right? So like, what are you going to be like, this is not a healthy workplace? Like you're working for a guy who said all Mexicans were rapists. Like how do you, what, there's no decorum here? I mean, I don't know how you have a leg to stand on. Well, you, you know, it is, it, it is funny. I mean, this idea, this, these same people who are saying, oh, you know, these let's explo- expose these liberal snowflakes. And then, you know, especially, I mean, big Project Veritas target has been labor unions. And then suddenly these workers right. are like, all right, we got to organize. We got to go to the board <laughs> and get better rights. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is kind of amazing. I mean, it's like, you know, it is like they're rediscovering all of these liberal values again and again. You know, maybe unions have a good point here. Thank you so much, Will. I hope you'll come back. Thanks for having me. I know you, our dear listeners, are very busy and you don't have time to sort through the hundreds of pieces of punditry each week. This is why every week I put together a newsletter of my five favorite articles on politics. If you enjoy the podcast, you will love having this in your inbox every Friday. So sign up at fastpoliticspod.com and click the tab to join our mailing list. That's fastpoliticspod.com. Professor Joanna Schwartz is the author of Shielded, How the Police Became Untouchable. Welcome to Fast Politics, Professor Joanna Schwartz. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Very excited to have you. So the, I feel like the book, I think we have to say the title of the book because it is exactly what we're going to be talking about right now. It is called Shielded, How the Police Became Untouchable. I'm sure you wrote this during the middle of police. You know, there have been so many of these police misconduct incidents. So tell me, I want to first ask you, how did you, when did you decide to write this? Yeah, so I was a civil rights litigator in New York City in the early 2000s. And when I was bringing these cases with a small civil rights firm in the city, I started thinking about how civil rights cases actually work on the ground and all of the challenges that there are to relief in these cases. And then when I became a law professor about 15 years ago, I started focusing my research on civil rights litigation and many of the questions that I first was asking as a young lawyer bringing these cases about how the the rules actually work on the ground. And so I wrote a bunch of law review articles that lawyers and law students and advocates read. Then in the wake of George Floyd's murder, I decided to write this book. And I was getting a lot of calls from legislators and from journalists trying to understand how the system worked and why there are so many barriers to relief in these cases. And so I wanted to write Shielded to describe all of these barriers in ways that people who aren't lawyers and don't tend to read law review articles could understand and to explain all of the interlocking ways in which there are challenges to 
getting justice at each stage of the litigation. That's how I came to write Shielded. Give us a little taste of what they are. Sure. Well, there's been a lot of conversation in the news, particularly after the murder of George Floyd, about a legal protection called qualified immunity. And it's a protection that essentially means that even if an officer has violated the Constitution, they're protected so long as there's not a prior court decision with virtually identical facts in which that similar conduct was held to be unconstitutional. And as I describe in the book, there is a case coming out of Fresno, California, where a police officer stole a quarter of a million dollars in money and rare coins when conducting a search. That officer got qualified immunity because there wasn't a prior court decision where something so outrageous had been done. And that meant that the the person whose home was searched, who lost a quarter of a million dollars, didn't get any relief. And the, the officer didn't suffer any consequences of that extreme misconduct. And that's only one of the barriers. The Supreme Court has interpreted the Constitution, which protects against unreasonable searches and seizures in ways that allow police to arrest assault and even kill people who've done nothing wrong so long as they can say it was objectively reasonable for them to do so at the time because they thought the person had a gun in their hand, for example. And I also talk about how difficult it is to get justice against local governments, even truly dysfunctional ones. It's very difficult, given the Supreme Court standards, to get relief from them as well. Obviously, you are not the first person to come on this podcast and talk about this wildly conservative Supreme Court. And, you know, it's certainly something we focus on a lot. But I want to get back to this idea. Do you think that some of this is founded on the notion, which I as a New Yorker find completely bizarre, but is clearly like a big selling point to some people outside of these cities that you can shoot people if they show up at your house? (laughs) Well, there is a really interesting way in which gun control or lack of of gun control and police violence intersect. And in fact, one of the stories that I tell in the book is about a, a person who was playing video games in their home at night, doing nothing wrong. Police pounded on their door at 1.30 in the morning because they thought for, for no for no good reason at all that this person owned a motorcycle that had possibly been involved in a crime earlier that night. And this man, Andrew Scott, had a gun that he lawfully possessed. He brought it to the door down at his side, but someone is pounding on his door at 1.30 in the morning and doesn't say who they are. And when he opens the door, he's shot by a deputy sheriff. And then the deputy sheriff, the claim against him is dismissed because the deputy was reasonable in the court's mind to shoot him because he had a gun. Well, that was a gun he was lawfully in possession of. The law, the constitution is you take it, by interpreted by the Supreme Court says you can have a gun anywhere, but if an officer thinks that you're going to 
hurt somebody, they can shoot you and they have not violated the Constitution. Great, great country we live in. The thing I'm always struck by is that it just seems like, I mean, I know there were statistics about how few crimes police actually do solve. And it does strike me with a lot of this, certainly a lot of this, there's racism. I mean, a lot, right? Like back to Rodney King, the history of much of this, and especially in the LA police department, but in other police departments, we've had people on here talking about the gangs and the police departments. I mean, there's certainly a lot of racism and a lot of other sort of rot in the institution. But it also does strike me that police are just not that good at this. (laughs) I think that we as a society give police a tremendous amount of authority to do things that are difficult to do. I'm not sure. And I think we as a country are starting to think about whether they actually should be given authority to do these things. There are discussions across the country about uh, how to handle people who are having mental health crises and to not have people with guns responding. Philadelphia recently passed a law that would limit police power to stop people for minor traffic violations. Right, which is how a number of these shootings happen, right? Yeah. I mean, my book really focuses on what to do once officers have violated the Constitution and the law. What is the path toward justice? But I think a full consideration of all possible reforms also means we need to think about what we allow police to do, what we authorize them to do. And some of it are things that police really are not well suited to accomplish. And and we should be thinking about how to run our society differently. I totally agree. And this is like one of the largest problems of our age. But I just want to mention like you know, with the Gabby Petito thing, even cases where, you know, it's a white person and by other white people, they are still just appalling and atrocious. And I mean, that's the thing. It's like I'm just struck by like how bad they are with domestic violence. I mean, I just don't understand how this group has so much political capital. If you had a company that was doing this, you would fire the CEOs. I think that the political capital point is a is a really powerful one. And part of what I focus on in the book is that that political capital has really been built up based on fear mongering right. about what society would look like if it was too easy to get justice, or if there were more constraints on police and what they could do, if there was more transparency. And really in response to any effort to have more oversight over police, There have been claims that courthouses would be overflowing with frivolous cases and officers would be bankrupted for reasonable mistakes made in a split second and no one would agree to become a police officer. And without a police force, there would be chaos. And I've really spent my academic career studying these and other justifications for all of the limits on transparency and justice. And those claims are overblown, if not false, but they're scary. And I think that it's hard for politicians to say, I'm going to pass these reforms. I'm going to demand this transparency in response to union officials and police officials saying, if you do this, your constituents will be unsafe. I want to talk to you about qualified immunity because I think a lot about doctors, right? Doctors have medical malpractice, right? And if you kill a patient, you can be sued, right? Yeah. Police want qualified immunity because they don't want to be held responsible for things like killing a prisoner. But that would be what that would mean, right? Well, I think that 
there is, I mean, qualified immunity does create those real protections, even when the Constitution has been violated. The Constitution itself, though, also creates protections so that prisoners can be killed, even if qualified immunity wasn't there. The way in which the courts have have understood the constitutional power is so limited. And in fact, it's it's especially limited when you're talking about prisoners, even more so than police. Yeah. I mean, I just am struck by, you know, yesterday there was a news of a of a man who had, they had called the police on him because he had an addiction problem. The police had put him in the freezer. He had frozen to death. His temperature, his body temperature was 72. I mean, so clearly we are seeing police cruelty as an American epidemic. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and we see it again and again in these moments when there is a high profile case like Tyree Nichols and like George Floyd before him. These are moments where the public's attention is captured and there is this sense that we need to improve things. But every day there are stories, if you look, of terrible injustices that have occurred that don't get that kind of public attention. And those are really the stories that I try to tell in this book because those are the cases where the shields protecting against accountability are their most powerful in the cases that have the least political salience. Yeah, I mean, that certainly seems like where we are and just how do we get out of this? Well, I think that there's a lot of barriers to relief. There's a lot of barriers to justice. And the bright side of that is that there's a lot that can be done at every level of government to improve where we are. I think that we should applaud and continue to explore ways to limit the reach of policing, certainly with people who are suffering mental health crises, with people who have done minor traffic violations and don't need to be pulled over. There are also important things to do with police internal discipline and to undo some of the protections that have been negotiated through union agreements that make it very difficult for police departments to take any action against their officers. But then I also think, and this is really where the focus of shielded is that we need to make the back-end systems of accountability work better than they do, which are happening in a variety of different ways. State governments across the country are trying to create greater restrictions on what police can do and do away with protections like qualified immunity. And there's a lot that can happen at city at the level of city government as well, that people can ask their own city officials to make valuable changes that I outline in the book. I want to ask you about the police union, because as someone who's a granddaughter of a communist, very committed to unions, we've had a lot of trouble getting unions to really do for workers the police union does not have any trouble with that. <laughs> Can you explain why? Well, I mean, police and corrections unions are really among the most powerful unions that we have in the country. And I do think that that power has been fueled in part by these claims that without the protections that they're given, our country will not be safe. People won't agree to serve as officers and that those dangers of increased crime and lack of protection are going to be on the responsibility of legislators who then have to answer to their constituents. It's a very 
powerful message that I think union leaders in corrections and in law enforcement have been using for decades and decades to increase protections. And it's they are powerful in large part because of that message that I think it's very difficult for legislators to push back against. Yes, agreed. And also, oy. <laughs> it's such a grim, grim reality. We in New York have a mayor who was a policeman and he is very into a lot of whatever. I am. I'm not a fan, but in a way, we're sort of more stuck when it comes to reform because of our mayor. Yes. No. Discuss. Well, I think that New York is a unique place for a variety of reasons when it comes to policing. The New York City Police Department is dramatically larger than any other police department in the country. Um, the next largest, I believe, is Chicago, and it's like a third of the size of the NYPD. And then, of course, the largest budget. It's a very, very powerful part of the New York City ecosystem. You also have very strong advocates for reform, both private citizens and lawyers and folks uh, on the city council. There is a tremendous amount of power that law enforcement has. There is also a tremendous amount of important work that's being done by local city council members and by advocates. And in other parts of the country, there aren't lawyers that do this work. There aren't civil rights organizations that bring these cases and bring attention to them. So you've got challenges, but you also have people who are focused on improving policing in the NYPD. Yeah. So interesting. I hope you will come back. Anytime. And now your moment of fuckery. Jesse Cannon. Molly Jung Fast, these conservatives, they just always can find some dumb nitpick thing about where you didn't visit, where you're not at each day, and their mad President Biden is doing an unprecedented visit to the Ukraine. You know, the Ohio train derailment, on this podcast, we have taken it very, very seriously because we do not like environmental catastrophes, unlike, you know, unlike the rest of the world, which also doesn't like environmental catastrophes, but, you know, especially ones that are caused by deregulation. You'll remember deregulation as Donald Trump's favorite thing in the entire world. <laughs> you guys, deregulation, that's what happens when you deregulate industries like trains. And so... Donald Trump going to Ohio on his tour to tell the many people of Ohio how bad he feels for them and how deregulation had nothing to do with this enormous environmental catastrophe that could have been prevented by regulation. Very mad at Biden for going to Ukraine during President's Day. One of the very rare times a sitting president had gone into an active war zone. He took an eight to 10 hour train ride secretly. It was a quite a ballsy move. Republicans are mad that he's not in Ohio because Joe Biden is damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm late. I'm late. Very important Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com at JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.